the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Learning from false accusations and how to respond to them from the life of Job. Next, here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who takes us back to Job chapter 15 today. As we continue our survey of Job, we're focusing in on Eliphaz and how he just rips into Job and Job's response. It's all before us today and the rest of this week as we continue our survey of Job. Join us as we learn from this man of God how to go through those times of sorrow when even your best of friends will go against you. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Now it is true that the young can be wiser than the parents as Jesus was. But just like Jesus, they must be in submission to their parents. So it is important that even in the case that the children are wiser than their parents there must still be the willingness to be guided by their elders. But a wise elder, a wise pastor, a wise parent, a a wise teacher will respect God's grace and workings in the young. And humility teaches them that God often speaks through the mouth of babes and they need to listen. And this is, of course, a good lesson for all of us who are parents. Because if we are instructing our children and praying for them, oh, they may just grow up to be wiser than we are. And in which case, we still have authority, but we have got to wear that authority very loosely. Because at that point, they do not need us goading them with a whip. They need us to be there as a safeguard and as a protection. But remember, God may just honor our labors by making them wiser than us. And beloved, if we are humble, we will rejoice in this because this should be what we want. Now in verse 11, the charges continue. This is the fourth one. He basically tells Job, you hold God's comforts in contempt. What are these comforts? Well, what we have told you, Job. Eliphaz equates God's consolations or God's comforts with what he and his two friends have been telling Job. Job, you should find comfort in what we've been telling you. Now, it is true when we are troubled, we need to go to God's word. We can find no hope in a bottle. We can find no hope in a needle. We can find no hope in a pill. There is no hope in a psychiatrist. 
no hope ultimately in any of the things that men run to when troubles come into their life. We must be consoled by God or we will be consoled by anything, however destructive it may be. But yet Job was trying here. But Eliphaz does not recognize that the Lord has given Job grace in the midst of this and that he does understand something of what God is doing in his life, which is why he's asking the questions. Because he just can't seem to connect all of the dots here. Fifth, Eliphaz in verses 12 and 13 basically just says, Job, you're simply opposed to God. Your heart is being carried away. Verse 12, your eye is winking mocking what we told you. You've turned your spirit against God. That is why your mouth just seems to be simply running free. Now, this wasn't true exactly of Job, as Eliphaz says, but it does contain a very important lesson for us. God will sift and he will test the righteous. Now, we don't have to belabor this point. This book has done that for us. But we do learn we can't ever allow ourselves, by God's grace and prayer and by seeking Him in our troubles, to forget for one moment how weak we are and how in need we are for God's help and God's strength in our lives. We don't want to become hardened and frustrated when troubles come to us. When life doesn't go like we want it to go. So we need to remember, no, no matter how much God has taught us, we do not know everything we need to know to glorify our God. And as Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8.2, if any man thinks he knows anything as he ought to know it, he doesn't know anything at all. So there needs to be a humility in our lives. So that when we feel God is whipping us and nothing is changing and we're asking, why is this happening? My, my sickness, my unruly children, financial woes or whatever it is, we must just at some level fall before the Lord and say, I, I don't understand, Lord, but I'm going to give myself into your hands and trust that you will do what is good and what is right toward me. What did our Lord do in his worst hours? In fact, he, he did it his entire life. He threw himself on the ground and said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Then Eliphaz brings forward his main point in verses 14 through 16. He basically says, Job, you're unclean. You're sinful, you're filthy. So it is ridiculous that you're trying to justify yourself. Now, these are probably some of the truest things Eliphaz says here, not about Job, but in general. You've probably seen one of those old Roman versus Jew movies, like Ben-Hur and The Robe. Movies where there are lepers, and the lepers were supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean, wherever they went. That was so everyone would know, here comes a leopard, stay away. 
Well, you know, it's like Calvin said about these verses. We should go crying ahead of ourselves. Unclean, unclean. Because, my friends, we are soaked in sin and wickedness. Soaked. So at one level, we have to confess it is true. What is man that I should be clean? I've been born of a woman. I am sinful all the way back to Adam. I can't be righteous. I can't justify myself before you, Lord. We can't ever forget this. And if we don't, this will really help us when we are going through our suffering. Now, Job can't trace his sufferings to any particular sin here, which is why he is really suffering the more that he is. But in general, all of us can trace all of our suffering back to, I know I'm unclean. I know I come from sinful stock. Therefore, I need to be chastened by the Lord in ways that I can't even possibly understand. Plus, verse 15, God puts no trust in His holy ones. I think this is a reference to the angels. He charges them actually with folly. The heavens are not clean in his sight, he says. Now think of what this means. God is so holy, so majestic. John Calvin says, every time we think of God, our souls ought to be ravished with his magnificence. And this doesn't even Consider our sinfulness. This is just the distance between the Creator and the creature. That even the sinless angels are unclean compared to such a majestic God. And it's not because of a defect in the way that God created them. It is simply because of the distance between the holy, majestic, high, wise, just Creator and His creature. But of course, you throw in sin. And, and, and we have to. And then we understand just a little bit more here. There is a holiness in God. There is a highness and a majesty in Him. That before Him we are nothing but dung. Isaiah knew. He was called to be a prophet. And yet when God revealed His majesty, He didn't say, uh, look at me. I'm a prophet. He said, woe is me. I am undone. Remember John who reclined on Jesus' breast in the upper room. And he fished with him after his resurrection. And he saw him on Patmos in something of his glory. He fell down before him like a dead man. So we need to remember this when we suffer and we go through difficulties. Because we tend to think, hey, I, I, I'm okay. There, there's really no reason for all of this, Lord. I, I don't deserve this. Well, there is really a reason for it. And that is that you and I are sinful. And like it says in verse 16, and I hope you see this about yourself. It's not a pretty picture, I realize. But we drink sin like water. Our thoughts 
our feelings, our attitudes, our first response when someone says something against us or challenges us or things just don't go the way we want, we, we want them to. We drink sin like water. Well, Job has already confessed these things. He's already confessed his sins. He's already confessed that he just can't justify himself before God. So we need to make sure that when we now talk about Job defending himself, that we need to understand he doesn't think he can defend himself fundamentally as if he is righteous before God. That's what Eliphaz doesn't understand that Job is saying. Lord, look at what you have done in my life. Look at the mercy that you have shown to me. How I have offered sacrifices and I've trusted in your promises, not in myself, but by your grace. And in some respects, Job is simply defending God's work in his life that led him to seek mercy through God's blood atonement. And then when everything was taken away from him, Job fell on his face and he worshiped the Lord. Now, we definitely need to use for ourselves Eliphaz's words here and fly to Christ today for cleansing. Because everything he says about us in verses 14 through 16 is true. And there is only one thing that can clean us, and that is, of course, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is only one thing that can justify us before God, and that is Christ's obedience. We have nothing, beloved. We have nothing that would attract him to us but his own love for us. And if the angels and if the heavens are not clean before him because he is so high and majestic, do we think that we're going to be able to make a deal with him? You know, you hear this in movies now and then. And maybe even from someone you have contact with. You know, I'm good with God. You know, I'll just make a deal with God when I get up into heaven. Beloved, this proves without a shadow of a doubt that most of us have no sense of God's highness and holiness and our filth. We just don't understand it. But in the small understanding we do have by the grace of God, we should fall on our face before Christ and say, Lord, you are my only cleansing. You're my only righteousness. We must continually call upon him. We can make no deals. Remember something else. If like Job... God brings temptations or trials or chastenings into your life and you're scratching your head saying, Lord, I, I, I don't understand. I've searched my own heart. I don't know why you have brought these things into my life. And your hand is so heavy upon me. When this happens, we need to go back to the basic truth. And what is that truth that we should always remember about ourselves? We are corrupt. We drink sin like water. And if it's not today's sins, then it's yesterday's sins. It is last week's sins. It is last month's sins. Or it is last year's. 
And then also, remember, we have a collective guilt in Adam that we all share. It's called original sin. Now, granted, no one talks much about original sin because no one thinks theology matters. But theology explains why the West is being destroyed by God's judgments. Because we don't recognize our filth before Him and flee to Christ and confess Him as our only Lord. But if we as believers remember, Lord, we drink sin like water. Oh, I I try not to. I I do hate my sin. I, I confess my sins, but I know in me If Paul had to say, who was caught up into the third heaven and saw things that are not permitted to be told on earth, oh, I feel my sinfulness. How much more should we? The good that I want to do, I don't do. That evil I don't want to do, I do. So who is going to deliver me from the body of this death? The words from Paul. And then what does Paul say? Thanks be to God who gives the victory. So what do we do in our trials and our chastenings? We go back to God's promise of mercy and we remember that God never treats us, never treats us for one day as we truly deserve. Never, never, never. He is always kinder to us, even on the days we think are the hardest. He's always kinder to us. He never treats His children in any way, shape, or form as we deserve. He always treats His children with kindness. And He only chastens us so that we may be partakers of His holiness. Then in verses 17 through 19, Eliphaz has a kind of interlude and he says, Job, I want you to listen to me. I'm going to explain what's going on in your life. Verse 17, I'm going to show you, hear me, that which I have seen I will declare. Verse 18, wise men have told from their fathers and have not hidden it. It's interesting here, you know. There was a little truth that was preserved orally. After the flood, it went with Noah into Shem's life. You remember? Then largely limited to Abraham in the covenant of grace. And it's interesting that those parts of his family that extended from Abraham retained some of this truth. And I think that these three friends of Job's were in some way, through one line or another, attached to Abraham's family. But the further they got from the root, from Christ, what truth they had became lost in superstition and idolatry. And as a result, verse 19, the earth that was given to them was lost because if we don't hang on to God's truth and we rebel against Him, the good things that He gives us are lost. Well, now we come to the core in verses 20 through 30 of what Eliphaz says here. And it's pretty straightforward. After condemning Job, telling him, listen to what I have to say. I wish this was actually something new, but it is not. And that's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But he does say, God always punishes the wicked and he always blesses the righteous. Now, 
You remember, we've heard this before. But at the same time, there are some gems here. He says in verse 20, The wicked man travaileth in pain all of his days. He is haunted with it. He's haunted with pain and uncertainty. His numbers of, number of years are hidden from him even when things are going well for him. Verse 21, there's a sound in his ears. Because you see, he knows the destroyer is somewhere out there after him. You'll even hear people say, well, I'll pay for this later. You know, even Stephen. I found $20 today. I'll probably lose $20 tomorrow. I got a raise. So something's probably going to happen. This has got to all balance out, you see. Verse 22. He expects payback for his prosperity. Because his conscience is condemning him internally. By the way, we see this today in our national guilt over prosperity, which has led to draconian taxation, wealth redistribution, theft by the state. And in some measure, this is self-atoning. You see, we want to make up for what we feel that we've done wrong. You know, we feel like we've done wrong in supposedly stealing land from the Mexicans, so we don't want to do anything to keep them out, right? Verse 23. Even this man's search for daily bread is not like ours. Father, give us this day our daily bread. No. I need more. Where is it? How can I have more of it? I need to accumulate more and more and more and more. So I can have enough to eat when I'm retired. And then there is... Much inner fear attached to this kind of thinking. This is the reason, verse 24, that trouble and anguish make him afraid. Because they're warning shots. And the conscience trembles. Men cannot completely erase the sense of deity from their minds and their hearts. That there is a God to whom they must give an account. And man is always on the alert to silence those painful reminders in his life, usually with fun and games and pleasures or addictions. But all they really do is just numb their souls. And he has nowhere to turn when his troubles come. Because verse 24, they are like a king ready to battle against him. And we see this today. The incredible fear-mongering amongst us. If you even go to the most conservative news websites, it's unbelievable. They're just as biased as the liberal sites, posting snippets to create fear and reader interest or to create advertising revenue. Because you see, there is money in fear. And that is why we as Christians are to be fearful of nothing. Of nothing. Not even big, bad, big brother. Not worldly order. Beloved, we have nothing to fear but God himself. Why is all of this? Verse 25. They are at war with God. And if we are at war with God and with our own conscience, guess what? No peace. 
And I know in my own life, and some of you can probably give testimony to this, in your younger years, when you were at war with God, you had no peace when you did not do what God said for you to do. Maybe you even grew up in a Christian home and knew that it was not the right thing to do, but you would not bend your will to God's. Maybe you gave lip service to it, but you would not bend, and inside it was just like a war zone. Because you were haunted by Christ and you had no peace in Him. So in verse 26, though, God sometimes makes His presence known by grabbing the wicked by the scruff of the neck. Verse 27, it matters how much fat covers himself with. Fat? What does this possibly mean? It's economics. It's investment accounts. You know, we've seen, like, we, see, we think that we have mastered them and that we've mastered science and that we've mastered technology. And we think we, have, we are insulated. After all, we're citizens of the United States of America, right? And we can escape these troubling times. God says, no, you can't. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace.